Those of you who are uh, longtime Woodland Hills folks will know the name Ephraim Smith. Yeah, yeah, Ephraim Smith. Uh, he, back when he was up here in Minnesota, uh, before he backslid and moved to California, <laughs> there you go, um, that, uh, he, we had him here on a regular basis. Uh, Ephraim Smith is an um, uh, internationally known speaker on a variety of topics, but he's especially known on racial reconciliation. Uh, he is a co-pastor at Bayside Church in Sacramento, California. He's an international speaker. Uh, as I've said, he's got uh, several books. One of them is uh, the Post... Uh, black post uh, white church uh, guys got it going on more than that he's just a dear friend uh, he, and I, he and I go back we're so, we, we go back so far that we were skinny when we first met each other how's that All right. so that, that's, that's saying something uh, Willen Hills uh, helped uh, get Covenant Church started that was his vision uh, in Minneapolis and we still have a relationship with them um, and so we're just very honored to, to have him come and deliver this message in this particular time in this particular season in which we find ourselves we thought we got to hear from our friend Ephraim and so uh, you'll be blessed by what he's got to say Hey Woodland Hills Church such an honor to be with you today I, I'm, just, I'm just grateful I mean man Minnesota is my hometown and and I'm not there in Minnesota, but I get to share with you Woodland Hills. I am so honored to go through the book of Exodus. Well, not the whole book, but we're going to look at chapters 3 and some of chapter 4 for this message. So, Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, and though it was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9 says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. From this text, I want to speak to you on the title, uh, Liberating and Reconciling Christians. Liberating and Reconciling Christians. God, I pray that this would be your message. That ultimately, God, you would be speaking and I would just be the vessel, the vehicle that you've decided to use to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Liberating and reconciling Christians. You know, back in the day when uh, we were traveling, you know, at least more often, you know, I, when I was speaking on site, like at a church, like when, when it wasn't uh, speaking uh, through uh, this means and showing it, you know, so that you could have an online worship experience. But I mean, church was like totally like in a building on site back in the day. Uh, there were times when... Um, I would, I would go and fly across the country to uh, guest preach at another church. I live in Sacramento, California, and if I was preaching at a church on the East Coast, I mean, I could leave in the morning and arrive in Washington, D.C., or New York City, or Orlando, Florida, and it's, it's 10 o'clock at night, but it, it feels like dinner time for me because I just came from the West Coast. Uh, and I remember... One particular trip, landing in Washington, D.C., and uh, it's like 9.30, almost 10 o'clock, and uh, I, I get my luggage, I get the rental car, I, I get to the hotel, and I am hungry. I mean, I know that it's after 10 o'clock now, but I mean, my body's on West Coast time, and, and, I'm, and I want to eat. The problem is, a lot of the places around me now are closed, and I'm at a hotel where there's not a restaurant in the hotel hotel. So I just break down and go, ah, it's going to be a vending machine dinner. I know this is not healthy. I know this isn't the wisest choice, but my body's still on dinner. And so I, I just, I, I check into my hotel room and I, I find enough change, uh, single dollar bills in my backpack. And I, and I go to the vending machine on my floor of the hotel and I go to the soda vending machine first. And it's got, it's got my favorite diet, Dr. Pepper. So I get a bottle of water out of the vending machine. I I get a Diet Dr. Pepper out of the vending machine and then I go to turn to the next vending machine where I know I'm about to make a bad choice here. I know dinner's going to be, I don't know, it's, it's, is it going to be like uh, some pretzels and Twinkies? Is it going to be uh, sour cream and onion potato chips and, 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 and M&Ms? I mean, I know it's not a good choice, but I'm hungry and I go to the vending machine to get the bad choice dinner. And though I can see all of these choices scrolling across a screen on the vending machine, it says out of order. I'm like, really? Out of order? And I'm looking at the, these things that I could eat. I'm, I'm seeing M&M's and Reese's Pieces. I'm seeing potato chips and 
pretzels. I, I'm seeing Hostess cupcakes and Twinkies, and, and I have the, the correct amount of money to access, to put the money in and to press the number and the letter combination so that the little metal ring thing starts turning and the product falls down to the bottom of the vending machine and I can reach in there and get it, but I can't because the vending machine says out of order. So even though I'd done everything right, I left my hotel room with the right amount of money. I walk down to the vending machine room. I, I go in there and I'm ready to put my money in. The machine says out of order. It's not working for me that day or anybody else that would try to use it that day. And you know, in a silly kind of way, that's a picture of the world that we live in. Because of sin, because of brokenness, uh, sin is not only housed in the hearts of people. It, sin doesn't just find itself in the soul, in our thinking, in our decision making, in our feelings, in our emotions. Sin doesn't just make its way there collectively as, as we build things, as we, as we produce things. Uh, sin works its way into systems and structures and institutions and governments. So sin is not just housed in the soul. Sin systemically is, is in society. Like it's, it's all over the place. Th this is how we know that we live in a sinful, broken, upside down world. Yes, sin is not just in the soul. It's in systems. It's in structures. And, and this is how we must understand reading the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, it, it, it opens up and, and we see the Hebrews, the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. They are under a government. They're in the midst of systems and structures that don't work for them. It's, it's an out of order society for them. Their place in that society, in that nation, in those systems is as an oppressed, enslaved people. That's who they are. It means that the systems and the structures and the institutions of Egypt at that point are not meant for the flourishing, the thriving, the acknowledging of the image of God upon the Israelite people. There are systems and structures in place that either stopped working for their benefit, for their flourishing, for their thriving, or they weren't created in the first place for their thriving. Now, if you're an Egyptian, you're, you're fine. I mean, uh, I mean, the systems are working for you. The, the structures are working for you. The institutions are working for you. If you're an Egyptian at the time, there's a great chance. It doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that uh, you're not going to have challenges. It doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be rich and famous if you're an Egyptian. But it means if you're an Egyptian in comparison to an Israelite at the time, the systems, the structures, are insti the institutions are working more for your benefit, for your privilege, uh, for your flourishing and thriving if you're Egyptian than for the Israelites. Lights, the Hebrews. Now, 
And this, this, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll continue to see structures, nations, governments, institutions, systems that don't work for the flourishing, for the thriving of all people, that don't work for the justice of all people, that don't work for the equality of all people, the, the acknowledging of bearing the image of God upon all people. You see that uh, through uh, the Assyrians in the Old Testament, through uh, the, the, the Babylonians in the Old Testament, through the Greco-Roman institutions. You see the people of God throughout the Old Testament uh, somewhat because of their own behavior, their own sin, their own uh, uh, idolatry, they find themselves suffering, oppressed, exiled, enslaved. You see this throughout the Old Testament, but you also see that, that, that playing a role in their oppression, in their exile, in their suffering, are systems and structures and institutions and governments that were not built in the first place for their flourishing. Now you could say, well, the Bible is just showing that about ungodly people, about people not in relationship with God, not in covenant with God. But the Old Testament also shows us even the Israelites, once they are set free from slavery in the book of Exodus and they're in the wilderness on their way to the promised land in covenant relationship with God, having revealed to them the commandments, the decrees of God, even people in relationship with God have the possibility of creating systems and institutions and structures that don't work for the flourishing or thriving of all people. If you were to read the entire book of Exodus, sisters and brothers, you'll find God saying to the former slaves, the Israelites, look, you were slaves. I liberated you. I delivered you. I brought you out of oppression. I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of suffering. And, I, and I, you're going to become a nation. I'm going to bring you into a promised land. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to give you my commands and decrees. And by 1 Samuel, those same people, I mean, they should be going, thank you, God. You liberated me. You delivered me. You saved me. They end up saying to God, hey, all these other nations around us, they have kings. We want a king too. This shows us that it is possible to be saved by God. It is possible to be delivered by God, to be liberated by God and still make otherworldly choices, natural choices, to desire something that you see that's not of God. The power, the prestige, the platform, what you see around you. you. You can be in relationship with God. You can be in covenant with God. You can have been delivered by God and still desire something else of this world. Something else otherworldly than the kingdom of God and a covenant relationship with God. So, in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings, if you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you're, you're, you're seeing the story of people that 
were delivered generations before by God and, and they choose idolatry. They, they choose to develop systems and structures and institutions that don't work for the flourishing and thriving of all people. When Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, I hope you're with me here. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus did not come in the human package of the privileged, of the wealthy, of the, the people group on top. Jesus did not come to earth as a Roman centurion. Jesus didn't come to earth as Herod, as, as Caesar, as, as a king in an earth government structure Jesus actually came as one of the suffering Jesus came as a Hebrew Jesus was born in poverty Jesus because of the killing of all the male babies that looked like him after he was born had to flee like a refugee across the border Jesus we're talking Bible here Jesus found solidarity. Jesus found proximity with the blind, with the paralyzed, with those on death row, with, 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 with those diseased and couldn't find a cure or a solution from any doctor, those left for dead, the Samaritan woman. Jesus came alongside. I mean, I mean, no, no, look, there's no question that Jesus also brought the gospel to the wealthy. I mean, I mean, Jesus has a conversation with, with, a, with a, a, a privileged attorney. I mean, Jesus, you know, heals, raises from the dead the child of a centurion, of one with military government authority. So, so there's no question that, that Jesus brings the gospel to everyone who will hear, everyone who will receive. But, but Jesus, Jesus came as the suffering servant, dying on the cross and raising out of the grave. So what I'm trying to say, sisters and brothers, is systems and institutions and structures that either are broken or from their inception weren't made for the equality, the flourishing, the thriving, acknowledging the image of God upon all people, that is no surprise to God. And as followers of Jesus, it should be no surprise to us. We should not be surprised, even in living in the United States of America. And I'm glad I live in the United States of America. I, I am. I'm so glad that I live in, in a nation where uh, we, we can worship Jesus without fear of being arrested, being beaten in the public by the governmental authorities for worshiping Jesus. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I live in a nation where I get to vote. I'm so glad I, I live in a nation where you can take an idea and turn it into a product and turn the product into a business and participate in the free market enterprise. That's awesome. I'm glad I live in a nation where I can go one place and eat catfish and collard greens and, and uh, macaroni and cheese and hot cornbread with uh, butter and honey and peach cobbler and drink sweet tea and I can go someplace else and have deep dish pizza out of this world and I can go someplace else and have the, like, the, like Peruvian food and I can go someplace else and have Indian food. I mean like that's so awesome. 
And at the same time, as a follower of Christ, you and I, we are to first and foremost give our allegiance to, surrender to, defend, represent, serve as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is forever. All other governments one day will end. All other structures and systems will end, but the kingdom of God is forever. And you and I are called to represent the kingdom of God. And when we give our allegiance, most importantly, to the kingdom of God, we're able to see this world we live in, no matter how good it might look, for the sinful, broken, upside-down world that it is. And that's how we understand race, racism, systemic racism. We must understand it from a biblical standpoint. If we're able to look at Exodus, if we're able to go through the Old Testament, if we're able to see the Gospels and see governments and systems and structures and institutions that have sin in them, that have been corrupted by sin. If, we're, if we understand biblically that sin is not just in the heart, it's in institutions and systems and structures. And if we understand that we are saved by God through Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and most importantly, you and I are ambassadors. We are representatives here to be salt and light, to be vehicles of liberation and reconciliation and truth and love and justice. If you know that you are a doctor or a teacher or a social worker or a student or an executive or a police officer, you are in that role as a representative from the kingdom of God. You are a missionary police officer. You are a missionary teacher. You are a missionary social worker. You are a missionary vice president of a company. You are a missionary attorney and you are there not to defend that corporation or that firm or, or, or that justice system. You are there to defend the kingdom of God, to be salt and light. So yes, in the United States of America, we have systems that don't work equally for all people. We have systems from their inception. We're not working for the flourishing and thriving of African Americans or Native Americans. They weren't built from the beginning for the flourishing and thriving, the wholeness of women. You, you, I could go on and talk about other people groups. I mean, race, if I'm just going to break race down and I'm going to get back to the scriptures, even though I've been referring to the Bible the whole time here, I, I, I just want to say to you that, that, that to understand where we are in this moment is to know that sin is not just housed in the heart, sisters and brothers. Beloved children of God, sin is in systems and structures. We have to be able to hold the tension that people are going to work, the majority of them, to do the best they can, whether they're in law enforcement or in healthcare or in government. And at the same time, there are systems and structures that don't work equally for everyone. The race structure 
is about based on the color of your skin and your physical features, we decide who's smart, who's dumb, who's slow, who's fast, who can clap on beat, who shouldn't bother, who should be feared, and who should be revered. And the race structure since its inception, not biblical, was about if you're white, you're on the top of that structure, and if you're a black or brown skin, you're on the bottom of that structure. But you and I are called to be liberators and reconcilers. Where You're not to sit in shame and guilt because of that. You're not to sit in oppression and victimization because of that. We are called to rise like Moses. And that's how I, I want to conclude this message. We're going to go to back to Exodus because God hears the cries of the suffering and the oppressed. And God is a liberating God. God is a reconciling God. And as, and as followers of Jesus, we are called in a broken world, in an upside down, oppressive, unjust world, in a world that, that stereotypes and profiles and judges by skin color, by, by race. You and I are called to rise as God's liberators, as God's reconcilers, as vehicles of love and peace and and truth and justice and compassion and mercy and just like Moses you might feel unqualified you might feel like I don't know what to say I don't know what to do I don't know if that's my role I don't know if I can do that I don't know if I'm called I, I, I'm scared I'm gonna say the wrong thing or you know what I'm so mad I don't know what I might do I'm so angry right now I've got stuff in me and you know what no matter where you are on the spectrum God's grace God's love God's word is for you. So what does God say to Moses? In chapter 4, God and Moses are having a conversation. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? Chapter 4, verse 1. Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Here's, here's I said all that first part to just give you these three things to remember. One, if you're going to be a liberating and reconciling Christian, let God liberate your story. No matter where you were born, no matter your skin color, no matter what your politics has been, no matter if you've held some prejudices or, or discriminatory thoughts in your heart, you know what? God can take your story and liberate it, transform it, make it new, no matter where you are in life. Because your story can either be a snake biting at your heels, making you scared and fearful, making you have anxiety, in your, making you angry, or you can pick it up and it can be a tool to set other people free. Let God liberate your story. Let God. Don't fight it. Let God's grace and love and truth penetrate you and let God liberate your story. Next, verse 6 of Exodus 4. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and it had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. 
So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So Moses put his hand under his shirt, and when it came out, it was leprous. And then he did it again, and when it came out, it was healed. God was showing Moses what his hand would look like if it looked like the inside of himself, if it looked like his soul. See, his soul was diseased, his soul was broken, his soul was not right. And so if his hand looked like his soul, his hand didn't look right. But God said, let me deal with your soul. Let me deal with the, what's on the inside of you, Moses. What's on the inside of you right now? Fear, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, apathy, avoidance. Whatever is on the inside of you, stereotyping, jealousy, envy, prejudice, let God have your soul. Let God liberate your soul every day. Give your soul, give your emotions, give your thinking, give your being to God. Let God set your soul free so that you can become the liberating, reconciling, justice-oriented, disciple-making Christian that you were always meant to be. And then finally, verse 10 of Exodus 4, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? What makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So, finally, let God liberate your voice. Whatever you're posting on social media, whatever you're blogging, whatever you're saying, give it to God. Let God be your voice. Let the God of love and truth and justice, the God of liberation and deliverance, the God who sanctifies us, that makes us holy, that makes us righteous, the God that gives us new life. Let God have your voice. And your voice is needed right now. Don't be quiet. Just be careful. <laughs> Don't be quiet. But carefully, cautiously, lovingly, surrender your voice. Surrender your voice. Your voice is so needed right now. Your voice is so needed right now. But it's the kind of voice that's needed. Don't let anger or bitterness, profiling, prejudice, arrogance, pride, stubbornness, have your voice. Let the Savior have it. That's what I need. I, I got to give the Savior my voice. God, you have my voice. Let God liberate your story. Let God liberate your soul. Let God liberate your voice. We are in a broken, upside down world. But guess what? God wants to use you to be a representative of the kingdom of God to make Jesus and the kingdom of God known in this broken world. Let it be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Anger, confusion, sadness, anxiety. Uh, let God liberate your voice, your life, your soul. Uh, let them set you free. I, I imagine right now, uh, some folks, in fact, I know uh, from emails, some folks are, are, well, they're experiencing most of this fatigue. Um, 
It's always dangerous to have a preacher come up after a preacher because that's inspiring stuff, okay? So, so the, but, but we're, we, that was a short message by Will and Hill Standard. So let me just, you know, supplement it a little bit here. But I, 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 here's the thing. Some folks are saying, okay, we, we've talked about race. Can we just be done with that? Kind of move on. And certainly, you know, to have a, a healthy, full or balanced gospel, you've got to address a range of topics, you know, for sure. But see, here, here's the thing. I, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to say this word, right? Um, did you know that, that after the Civil War in 1865, uh, that for the next seven years, there was incredible prosperity uh, in the black community, comparatively speaking. And they were in, in the South, setting up businesses, setting up uh, schools uh, for, 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 for the black community. Uh, they had a lot of representatives in the House and the Senate. Um, they're, they're moving into, they're being represented in government. It was outstanding. I encourage you to uh, do a little research on Reconstruction period. It was, it was incredible what happened. And then the KKK started rising up because they didn't like all this, this freedom that the, the blacks were having and began to just terrorize blacks in submission. Now, Ulysses Grant was the president at the time, and uh, uh, he, was, uh, he was very much against racism. And, and so he actually uh, created this federal army that would go in to suppress the KKK, and they used spies and stuff to find out where the leaders were, and they squelched that. For four years, up until 1875, they squelched that, so the Reconstruction was, was still going on. The system was beginning to change, and systems always change slowly, and it takes a whole lot of work and usually a whole lot of sacrifice, but it was moving strongly in an egalitarian direction. And then 1875, uh, they had a big uprising of the KKK. It was horrendous. The governor of Mississippi wrote to Ulysses Grant and says, Will you please send in the troops because this is out of control. Everything that we work for in Reconstruction is being reversed. But see, at that point, early on, the North was really behind Ulysses Grant and in favor of all this. Yes, let's, let's you know, create a, a, a union in which there's equality for all. But by 1875, they were growing tired of this. It was costing a lot of money. And this, 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 there's a lot of folks who were saying that Grant was overstepping his bounds. They hadn't had a federal government like this before. And, and the, the, the political will was no longer there. And so Ulysses Grant said, no, we're not going to send in the troops. And that gave free reign now to all the forces against Reconstruction to just redo, undo everything. And the next 100 years that followed that, 90 years that followed that, was a result of white fatigue. I'm tired of this. It's costing so much money. It's costing so much effort. Can we just... And they, the North, we just decided, well, they, they, that's their problem. Let the South settle. We have industry growing on here. Our, our economy is prospering. Why should we be spending all of our money to be, you know, solving the Southern problem? The Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. All right? Don't be weary in well-doing. To this we are called. And this is a Kairos moment where things are changing like never before. It, it, it's really quite amazing. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff that none of us would condone that goes on as a part of this, but the, the, the basic move, the direction of this is, is going in a, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful way. Um, don't, don't, don't grow weary on this. And so take the words of Ephraim Smith to heart here. Uh, let God liberate your, 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 your life, your soul, your voice to be set free. And speak up. But how you speak up is all important. We're to roar like a lion, but we do it in a lamb-like way. Jesus was the lion and the lamb. He fought like a lion, but he did it in a lamb-like way. He fought by laying down his life. Uh, to this we are called. Okay. I